Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. On the line, from the road, my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? Uh, not much. I uh, actually just got off the stage. I do a, a surprise harmonica solo in the middle of Frank Turner's set, uh, which I do nightly on this tour. I, uh, and the thing about a harmonica solo is that anybody could actually do it. It's like, as long as the <laughs> harmonica is in is the right key. key. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so my main, my main move is I try to like shake my ass a lot while <laughs> I'm doing it. And people are very impressed by the whole thing. They're like, whoa. And then I think a lot of confidence. Like, Max, I didn't know you were a harmonica player. I'm Max, like, you really rocked I, that harp. I know. <laughs> but quite literally, you just came off the stage. Like you were just on a stage in Winnipeg yeah. before you just called me back for this segment. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, we go on in an hour. So, uh, this is my little pre-show, just hanging with you. This is, uh, this. I got to say, this is a dedication to the pod. You, you, literally, Frank is playing right now. You're on in an hour, and we're doing this. We're banging this out. <laughs> well, you know what, though? Um, I kind of had like, a weird day today in Winnipeg because it was, it was like minus 30 outside, and I, usually like on show days, I like to be out and about in the city and get some fresh air and explore a little bit, and get a little taste of like a local fair. But when it's so cold outside, you can't really go anywhere. And so <laughs> I've been missing, uh, some conversation. And at this point in the tour, like the band has like kind of stopped talking to each other. No, that's not totally true. <laughs> Every tour reaches that point. But everybody's getting along and everybody's like very professional about it. And, and I, and once we get to the show time, we all have a great time. But it's definitely uh, reached that point where, uh, you know, everyone's excited to get home. And tomorrow, everybody's flying home uh, before they handle the show. So, uh, so anyway, this is all, uh, this is making me feel good. Just uh, catch up with my old friend, Mike. <laughs> so you're flying back to Hamilton after being on the road for quite some time now. How long have you been gone? Uh, we've been gone for almost three weeks. What's the first thing you're going to do once you get back into town? Ooh, good question you know i like my faux dabo which is like a very good vietnamese place it's in my hood man that's right so i think i might go there i'm gonna go see lauren of course it's also getting that point of the tour where like lauren like forgets what i look like and like you know she started a whole new life for herself kind of you know you know that part of the tour (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you find after a like a long absence like that that it's actually weird just to remember what you're like around each other so there's like a feeling out period well you know what it is um I'm pretty good at getting back in the saddle really quickly. And I think it's more in my nature just because I'm kind of like, uh, more like outwardly physically affectionate person. And like, and a lot of my life, I live kind of a transient life. So I, I'm used to sort of jumping from one scene to the next, but Lauren is quite different from me. And then she's a lot more homebody and generally doesn't do that great with change. Like if she's like starting a new semester at school, um, by the way, she is an adult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just realized how weird that kind of sounded. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but or like when she's starting a new job or whatever, she gets she it really stresses her out. Mm-hmm. So usually when I come back uh, from tour, she looks at me like a dog that like kind of remembers like the person that they like <laughs> once knew, like that they visited their place once maybe. Right. But like is generally like a little like cautious <laughs> just sniffing <laughs> like, you out I, yeah just sort of sniffing me out not quite sure what to make of it and then usually about like the six hour mark <laughs> like something snaps and then she like gives me a hug <laughs> she remembers the love yeah she remembers and then and then we're good you got a big show coming up here in hamilton uh on friday night so this pod will be coming out on friday so when you're listening to this michael much listeners uh the arkells will be playing 
Cops Coliseum here in Hamilton, which is, you know, that's the big arena in town. It's a pretty huge accomplishment. You guys have sold it out. I mean, aside from the annoying part where you've had to get a million friends and family tickets, how does it feel just to sort of sell out your hometown arena? It's great. It's, it's killer. Uh, and, I'll, you know, we've been really looking forward to it. And I think the night's going to be great. And uh, But it's probably more entertaining to talk about, like, the, the tickets part and the commitment. <laughs> uh, so a couple of things that I've observed. First of all, shout out to our friend Dan, who has taken care of all the tickets. Dan is a real task oriented guy. And I basically told him, Dan, you are going to be like my personal assistant when it comes to tickets. Anybody who wants a ticket is going to have to go through you. And the way I decided to do it, uh, was if I had 15 free tickets and there was, you know, 45 friends I wanted to take care of, everybody would split the remaining cost after those 15 tickets were uh, taken. So, uh, did I explain that right? By the way, that that made sense? sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so basically, and I tried to do that in a very sort of like communist style way, because like, obviously if I were to start ranking all my friends in order of like least important to most important, that would offend basically everybody except for the guy at number one. <laughs> so, uh, so and, and okay, also, but, but, but who, who would be number one? <laughs> you would, of course. Oh, look at you. Oh, man. Good old Maxi, best harmonica yeah. player I know. <laughs> Shane's going to hear this and be furious. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I will give our friends credit. Everybody gets it. And the, thing, the funny thing about it is nobody would like think twice about having to spend 30 bucks for a night out to see a concert. No one would blink to like go see their friend and have to pay $30 to support them. Let's say like our friend was putting on an art like exhibit sure. and the cost was $30 or something. And you really love your friend and you knew how important it was to your friend that you come. You wouldn't think twice about it. Everyone's an adult at this point. It's everyone's been very good about spending a, uh, the $30. Yeah. Um, sweet. So what else is going on? Anything else in the world? Anything you've seen? Did you watch the Super Bowl? I watched the Super Bowl. I was at a bar in Calgary. Awesome game. I thought Lady Gaga did a great job. I was saying this on uh, Facebook Live today, if anybody wants to go watch it on Munch's Facebook page. Uh, but essentially, I was saying that Lady Gaga, Danica and I were watching the show and we were watching her dancing and I kept giggling. And I, at some point I was like, I was trying to like, why am I giggling at her dancing? And the conclusion that I came to was essentially that Lady Gaga is not like a, a great dancer. Like she's not like some all world dancer, but she's super committed to her moves. So she almost has like the exuberance of like a child, which I is inspiring. I enjoy it, but it couldn't help but make me kind of laugh on some <laughs> weird level. Did you, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I totally. Well, we talked about this a little bit with Haim because they have that, that the girl group Haim. They have that video where they're all dancing in it, and yes. they're, they're like a rock band. They do not dance normally in their shows, but because they commit to the dancing, it's a great video. Like it's, I automatically like love the way they dance. Yeah. Like for instance. Like I get actually in Arkell's circles, like for, for our audience, people love my dancing, but I'm like <laughs> not a dancer. Like I just like get really into it. Like, and honestly, most of my dance moves are some amalgamation of like my dad's dance moves. <laughs> my, dad's, uh, my dad's like a really, if you ever come to an Arkell's concert and you see an old guy with glasses and curly hair dancing, that's my dad. And, <laughs> the, and I'm just basically mimicking him. <laughs> uh, and a little bit of chance the rap. Okay. Like a little bit of like Gord Downey, probably like those three guys. <laughs> and the thing is, as long as you're committed and you're authentic and you're enjoying yourself, I think people will always enjoy it. And, and that's how I felt watching Lady Gaga. Totally. If you show like passion in what you're doing, that gives you like 
seven brownie points out of 10. Oh, you, have, you get a free pass. You have like a license to dance however the hell you want. Did you see uh, when she dropped the mic and they threw the football at her? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, is, is that, were they supposed to be like... Like mimicking like like a pool party or something. <laughs> it like. was totally like a pool party. That part was hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, because I was like, is that is that supposed to be like a joke? Um, it, it had to like, have been done for laughs. Like just it so goofy. Been. Like this is how I'm going to end it. it. Like yeah. I don't know. Or maybe she thought it was the most badass thing to do ever. Again, like a child would think catching a football going into a pool would be the coolest maneuver ever. Okay. The other thing that I thought was really interesting that actually like had me nervous for a second was. Like most of her singing performance must have been pre-recorded. Like maybe there's points in the set where she's like yelling, "All right, Houston, all right, Texas." But like, if she, I can't imagine that she's singing every note. Oh, that's, with all that cardio. Like, yeah, there's just too much to ask for. And why would you? Because you want it to sound great on TV. You pre-record it. I don't hold that against her whatsoever. But there's this one moment in her routine where she's doing this dance, like a key guitar solo. And there was a guy, <laughs> a dancer holding the microphone, like for her to sing into. Yeah. And the whole time I was just thinking, man, if that guy goes rogue and, and, and like runs away, like, they, <laughs> like she'd be like left hanging and everyone would accuse her of being Millie Vanilli or whatever. And like, they must've had, I, I can just imagine the production meetings for that part of the, of the performance going, all right, if dancer goes rogue and it tries to sabotage this performance, cut the vocals. We have to cut, yeah. Or we cut the vocals or cut to a wide shot of people uh, dancing. Like we need some backup plans. And that's all I could think of. I was like, man, that dancer guy has a lot of responsibility. He needs to hold that mic up the perfect amount. He cannot run away. He can't forget. Cause it's all a choreographed thing too. If she didn't sing live and Max, that is a heavy accusation that you just put out there into the world. Well, you know what? I don't really care if she did. If she sang live. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she sang live, then God bless her. If she didn't, then God bless her. The amount of shit she had to remember to put on that performance is just insane. I don't like. I know she can sing. It has nothing to do with like me believing that she's like not a, actually a good singer. She's a great singer, but when you're parachuting in from the top of the arena, it's uh, like of course. Then you have to remember twenty. Like that was like a nineteen-minute dance routine. Speaking of parachuting in, Max, can we expect some wire work from you at Cops Call Scene this Friday? You know what? No, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I will say this: I've, I've transitioned. It's a big move in my uh, in my career. I transitioned from wire wired microphone to wireless microphone, Ooh. and it's giving me so much damn freedom, and I <laughs> love it. I think the next step is just a headset microphone, Britney Spears style. Then then you know you've really made it. You know. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see an Arkell set where you're wearing a headset microphone. So Lady Gaga was great. Max thinks maybe she sung, maybe she didn't. Decide for yourself. But today on the show, Max, we have BB Rexa, another strong female artist who I thought had a really revealing conversation about um, her career, her time in the industry, signing a, a record deal, getting drop persevering, writing that huge hit Monster by Eminem and Rihanna the disappointment not being able to sing the hook herself, even though she wrote it, you know, it went to Rihanna and basically the politics of the music industry. I was, I was impressed with how candid she was about her journey. Yeah. It sounded like she came in blazing. You said she went immediately for the kiss on the cheek, which is uh, <laughs> a ballsy move. Yeah. Uh, you know, when women do that, because we're not French, I'm always like taken aback. Uh, but then when I know that there's like 
when I know that they're that kind of person, I just go for two cheeks immediately. Once I've been <laughs> like, <laughs> Give Max an inch, he'll take a mile. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, it, yeah, and it was, it's funny because we do these interviews in Greg Stewart's office. And just to describe it, he's got like a nice kind of couch in there. And then he's got like the chair that would be at his desk. So we're on this new system now where we're just holding microphones. We no longer have like a, a table in front of us. So I was in the chair and then she was in the couch. And like within two minutes of the conversation, she just kind of like laid down on the couch and it almost kind of felt like a therapy session. Like I was sitting in the chair. <laughs> Dr. Mike, you know, that's what you are to these people. My new moniker. Yeah. All right. You want to get to BB Rexa? Let's do it. All right. Have a good show tonight, man. Thanks, buddy. Later. I'm from the States. I don't know what this is. Nobody just told me to go somewhere. <laughs> you just sort of like follow the, on these press days. Yeah. I just try to survive. Yeah. Um, no, this podcast are we is recording now. We are. We're wrong. Uh, are we, are like we live a, on the podcast? It's not going live anymore. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So if you ever said anything that you were like, Oh my goodness, okay. it can never go out. Cool. Yeah. No stress. No stress at all. So I can drink my Starbucks and big time. Fix my hair. Drink your Starbucks, fix your hair, swear cool. if you want. Cool. It's your life, you know? What's the podcast called? So it's called Mike on Much. I'm Mike. Mildly narcissistic title, but I do it with two of my friends. And yeah, we've uh, basically, we talk to anyone in the arts, uh, anyone that's doing like sort of cool. interesting creative stuff. How did you start it? Oh, my friend Max. Like originally, obviously not here, right? This is turning into your podcast, uh, asking questions. Um, yeah, so we basically started it because my friend Max is in a band here in Canada called Arkells, and they're like a very big Canadian cool. band. Tour bunch. When he would come back from the road, we'd sort of just hang out and shoot the shit. And then he eventually was like, you know, we should start a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, everybody's got a podcast. But then yeah. he's like, no, like, let's get into this sort of minutia of how creative people do their work. Cool. And I was like, all right. And it's like, with our connections, we can probably end up getting people on. And yeah, so this is episode 50, or this whoa, is actually whoa. episode 51. You'll be 51. Whoa. But just talked to Kings Leon on so Monday. Dope. So dope. It's been very good. And we've had all sorts of sort of interesting people that do great creative work. Incredible. Yeah. So now you kind of know the background. Uh, I hope that you're in good hands and that you don't feel. Uh, no, I feel very comfortable. That's good. Um, all right, let's start. Okay. How's uh, today been, by the way? It's like, a, I feel like it's an intense press day. It's like everything's happening. Intense. You got to talk into the mic. Though. Oh, That's sorry. I might give you warrant, like, you know, reminders. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, how's today been intense? Like you started are we, are we, Like is, is, is the podcast started yet? It started. We're, this is happening. Oh yeah. The, the day has been, <laughs> the day has been very intense, but, um, I'm grateful because I could still be sitting in Staten Island wishing that one of my songs would people would want to listen to one of my songs yeah. or anything that I make talking about your music. Yeah. So I'm out here talking about my music. So I'm happy. I feel good. Speaking of Staten Island and sort of your beginnings, um, you're from New York. Yes. Your parents are from Macedonia. What do your folks do? Sort of what do they do when you're growing up and how did they end up originally sort of in America? What's the story there? Um, my father, um, well, my mother was born in New Jersey and my father was born in Macedonia. He's Albanian though. They're yep. both Albanian. Uh, and they met here. Um, my father, um, came out here and he just started working at a pizza shop. Really? Yeah. He just started making pizzas. And, um, then he slowly started, he went, he lo really loved food and went to culinary arts, art school. Oh, cool. And then, um, he started working for, uh, the federal Is he a good cook. He is an incredible cook, um, but we try not to bother him too much because he's getting older now, you know, but um, yeah, so he went to culinary arts school and then, um, then he, uh, you know, uh, he was, he had a couple of businesses and then something, things that didn't go right. So now he's working for scaffolding for my, uh, my uncle, uh, my uncle, excuse me. And my mom was always wanting to be a fashion designer. 
So, um, but that didn't work out for her. But still very like sort of blue collar. um, Yeah, blue collar family. Yeah. Um, Yes, definitely. Hard work. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of music played in your house growing up? Was it a musical family? Were you guys in the arts? I mean, your mom was in a fashion, obviously. My mother loved hip hop music. It was really funny. Well, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 17, had me when she was 18, 18 or nine, something like that. So young mom. Very young mom. Um, And... Uh, you know, so she kind of always grew up as like, you know, like we kind of felt like sisters growing up. So, um, she would always listen to like hip hop and like the super, you know, anything that was modern, she loved it. Right. Um, and then my father loved Albanian music. He would only play Albanian music. So it was like really opposite ends. Interesting mix. It was very interesting. And do you um, like Albanian music? I really do. I do. It's very interesting. I think it's, I think we've taken a lot from the countries around us and, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, I think, uh, part of the country, I'm not, I don't, I'm terrible at geography, but we were taken over by the Turkish, um, empire, Ottoman empire. Yep. Um, so we kind of have a little bit of that like middle Eastern flair to us, but we're in, we you know, we're right near Greece and Italy. So it's very interesting. The sound as a kid, like you played the trumpet, I yeah. read what led you to the trumpet. Was it something that sort of just happened or did you have a, like, I wanted to be, I loved music so much and I was dying to be in the band. So by the time the teacher got up, like the school band. Yeah. The school band. Okay. By the time the teacher got, by the time the teacher got up to my, to me, like, cause he would like put everybody in kind of in their sections. My last name is Rexa. So it's R. So he was going <laughs> based off the alphabet on your last names. So by the time he got to me, all the flute, I want to be a flute player or a piano oh, really? player. Yeah. That was like or your clarinet, first choice? Yeah. Flute. I would, cause I thought it was pretty. And by the time he got up to me, all the flute seats were taken and all the clarinets were taken and I couldn't play piano because my parents could, the part of piano was that you had, your parents had to give you lessons on the side and my parents couldn't afford that. So he was like, just, can you put your lips together and go? <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, okay, perfect. You'll be a trumpet player. And I was, I went home crying that day. I was so upset. I was hey, like, you got stuck with the trumpet. Yeah. I was in third grade. I was so upset. I was <laughs> the only girl in the trumpet section. I was like, ah, crying to my mom. Did you eventually become good at the trumpet? I did. I played trumpet for like seven, eight years. If there was one right here now, like, could you bust it out and um, make I think something would, happen? I think it would take me a, I think I'd probably do like the scale and like play something, but like really rough. But I think it would take me a second just to get to remember the fingerings. I think it would come, you know, a second nature, but I don't think I would be like an incredible. I could probably play like very easy sheet music. Nothing yeah. crazy. Um, I feel like in my school, every kid wanted the drums. It was like basically yeah. a battle for the drums. Yeah. There's only one drum player. Well, they always had a couple or two or three and then. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to double up or do yeah. three. Well, my, my last name is Veerman, so and we did it the uh, exact same alphabetical way, so there was no way I was getting the drums. So what did you play? I got the sax. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Tenor sax. Yeah, it's kind of dope. Yeah. I'm actually happy that I played the trumpet because, uh, you know, the trumpet always kind of plays the lead in yes. the band, the lead notes, so I think that really helped me with my melodies a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because th- that's what I think is like my strong suit is my melodies, so I was happy about that now. <laughs> Like, I guess as a kid, were you always sort of inclined to perform? Did you want to sort of sing, uh, be a part of, you know, choir, school musicals? Yeah. I, I, I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I would sit in front of the TV and die to be, my mom played, you know, showed me Grease for the first time mm-hmm. and I was dying to be Sandy, like dying. <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, I don't know. I would figure, I would ask, beg my mom to like send me to auditions and stuff. She didn't know anything. She's like, okay, no. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 You know, just kind of shut me up. But I would watch like the little mermaid and, um, I would watch Jasmine and all the Disney princesses. And like, I was dying to, 
be them and I, I thought they really existed so mm-hmm. well how did like sort of I guess like the music that you listened to growing up and sort of wanting to do all that stuff like I guess I want to know like how did it sort of like shape your relationship with music like who were your favorites and who did you want to emulate it changed so much because you know I was I, I was always like this happy young girl who like watched Disney and I'd sing a lot to musicals and whatever my mom like kind of allowed me to watch. I wasn't really like allowed to watch MTV when I was like eight, you know, I mean, I didn't, or like, you know, I was very young. I was, I was too young. Um, but then I think that was part of it. Then it kind of transformed to like going to all, a lot of Albanian weddings. We go to like 10 a year, yeah. you know? So that is a very interesting sound. You have accordions and clarinets and like drummers and um, and then my mom loved hip hop music and she loved right. dance music and 80s music because that was like her thing. So she would play that for me. That was like her generation. Yeah, that was her generation, the 80s. And then and then um, and then as I started like really like learning music, I fell in love with Stevie Wonder and like was obsessed with him for literally a whole year in high school. I could not stop listening to him. And then I got into classical music because I really wanted to be a singer. And, um, my dad wouldn't let me sing pop music cause he didn't pre- appreciate it or like it. So he was like, you could do, you could be a singer as long as you're a, this an type opera of singer. singer. Yeah. So then I studied opera music. And then when I was in the band, when I was younger, I was really into jazz. So it's really interesting. And then, and then, and then at a certain point also, I started loving dance music. So there's so many pieces and aspects and I could actually break it down because that's how my brain works I could tell you what piece where things fall and why I like certain drums and why I like certain melodies and why I like certain tempos Uh, I think it really has to do with all that kind of shaping who I am today Hmm. a little bit of each thing is really and it's very hard when people ask me like what's your style it's very very hard for me to um explain it you know so that's why i say pop which is like the worst thing for an artist you know like i hate saying that because what does that mean that just means popular like whatever is it ends up being a hit song but um really you're like an amalgamation of everything you've sort of listened to growing up and it seems like you're sort of a sponge for music and then those things can then come out in your writing yeah absolutely you know because i love urban music and when i mean urban i mean more cultural and more you know like you know just it's just more rhythm to it you know i love r&b and then i feel like there's there's moments of of electronic, you know, sounds and, you know, uh, and, and moments of, you know, hip hop, uh, you know, there'll be a beat that's hip hop. And then in the melodies comes out like these operatic, like, like a woo, woo, it's just me, myself and I, or that's nothing, which is like very like classical, you know, because I was a coloratura, so a coloratura sings like that. It's very yeah. flute-like, so it's interesting. Do you remember your first performance? Ever? Yeah, like, I mean, like, how young were you when you first got up on a stage and, and, and maybe sort of performed a cover or... Like singing? Yeah. Probably when I was in elementary school, and I think I sang um, Annie. Okay. The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. Right. And, or His Hard Knock Life. It was my favorite. So more in like a play setting? It wasn't a play setting. It was a, um, what do you call those when you do? Like a rehearsal? No, like you, everybody comes out and you'd sing a song. Oh, a talent show? Yeah, a talent show. Oh. There you go. I was like, <laughs> what do you call that? <laughs> yeah, I did a talent show um, and I loved it so much. I was so obsessed. I remember when I was younger, I was so obsessed with the auditorium and like the red curtains. I would walk by and I would get like excited. I just wanted to step on the stage. Like the stage seemed like such a, like a happy, exciting, like it just felt like 
so amazing. And, and I remember being a little girl. Um, I, I just loved it so much. It made me feel so happy. It just made me so, 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 so happy. And I just would die to step on the stage. Okay. So, I mean, that kind of like feeling that pull to be like a performer and, yeah. and get up and be in front of people. How do you transition to songwriting from there? Does songwriting become a vehicle for you to get there or is it something that you were naturally inclined to do? No, I wasn't naturally. Incl- I mean, I would write songs when I was eight, like poems. Sure. And I did write songs. I, w- uh, I would say that I, 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 in high school, I actually started mo- mostly writing songs. That's because there was this one girl who was incredible. She played on piano. I forgot her name. And I was like, wow, she writes her own songs. I want to write my own songs um and then i met this lady at, um at this uh, at bmi and uh which is uh it's like um they collect your royalties for you oh, okay. but they also scout like new songwriters and like kind of you know nurture them and so i, I met this lady from bmi her, ma- her name was samantha cox and um i at that time just wanted to perform i didn't care i just wanted to be on stage i wanted people to know my name i was like just you know 15 like oh, I want to be famous you wanted you know? to make it I want to make it I'm ready and um I met her and she was like okay well you need to slow down <laughs> she's like um you need to learn how to write and I was like well I can write songs look these are the songs I wrote and she's like great she's like but you have to really um work on your craft I said okay fine so she put me in these workshops twice a week in New York City and I would go there two hours into the city two hours back out just to learn how to write a song for 45 minutes with all these Nashville songwriters who were all in New York yeah, they were all in New York. They're all nationally. They were all writing country songs. Some, some R&B people, some people are New York people in there. Um, it was interesting. And it was like a Nashville works, like a country workshop. And I did a lot of those workshops and I had the, probably the worst song in the room. <laughs> um, but she taught me to really focus on songwriting. And if I didn't have that, I don't think I would have been here today. Because the, the songwriting was really an anchor. And something crazy about that time that I remember till this day is she was like, you have to see this new artist that I've worked with for a while. Her name is Gaga. And I was like, Gaga, that is a weird name. <laughs> what a weird name. And I remember seeing Just Dance. And I was like, that looks something like amazing. Like, what is this? And then she also played me Kesha, which was insane too. But Kesha on guitar, which was really incredible. Um, and they ended up becoming so massive. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. So when you sort of make this choice, cause it sounds like you're like super ambitious, super driven. Yeah. You're, you're in this thing at 15. You're like, I'm going to make it yeah. no matter how I, I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. going to do it. How do your parents, who you'd mentioned, you know, blue collar, your dad yeah. didn't really appreciate pop. Yes. How do they sort of, do they support your decision-making? Are they like, whatever you need, we're here to support. Or are they kind of like what you're crazy? Good luck. Uh, my dad, I think was a bit like that, but I think he was only like that. So, because it is a really tough industry. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, people know about the industry that are true. Uh, a lot of things people don't know about the industry. Um, my mom was more supportive about it. Um, because she, I think felt like, you know, she wanted to always be a fashion designer and didn't fully like go after that dream because of her fears and whatnot. So she really like held my hand and supported me. And, uh, you know, I think that that was 
very necessary. Without my mother, I don't think I would have gotten this far. Just even for like a, a mental state, you know, not even just physical, but uh, this industry could really like break you down, and then you know you really have to build yourself back up. Uh, and uh, and then it seems like that happens constantly. It's like this sort of cyclical thing. Absolutely. I I, I was speaking to one of my dearest friends, um, and I don't want to name names, but an incredible, incredible artist, very, very big, uh, many, many hits. Was just talking, and and uh, he was like. I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get myself back together. I gotta get more, you know, I feel like I gotta build my, like we, you know, he's like, I gotta get these, I gotta get some more hits. I want to, I'm working on some newer things. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, even this person right now is feeling, starting to feel kind of insecure and unsure about their artistry. And it's like this constant process, you know, it's like you do it, you start doing it to yourself then also because the industry kind of like, um, you know, uh, conditions you to that, you know, you get kind of, it's a normal cycle. It's like the cycle of life, you know, after four years, you can either, you know, hate your job, love it, quit it, whatever it may be, yeah, you know? Of course. Um, but the music industry is a very, um, is a very cold business. Well, it's interesting because I think that with people in general, like anybody sort of in any career or relationship, it's like, you see like making it as the end goal. Like, Oh, if I have a hit song, like it's like, that's where you want to get at your destination. Yeah. But then I think the thing is once you get there, then you're like, Oh wait, there's like five more levels to the video yeah. game. And then you got to keep it's, beating those levels. It's, it's crazy because like when I first, I remember the first time I ever walked into a recording studio, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm like, I'm getting there. I'm making it little did I know. And then when I started working on demos, I was like, Oh my gosh. So now I got to make a good thing called a demo, which has four songs on it. Like, you know, four demos and like a little mini EP. And then I got to bring them to the record labels and sit in front of them so that they could talk, you know, they literally talk about you like to each other. And then they tell, you no. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of that will tell you no. And then after that, after you get the record deal, that's not even half the battle. You have to put music out and people have to like it because there's so many artists that have record deals that never come out. That's why like when you look at Katy Perry's story, she's been signed four times and then she finally like had a hit song. Like I've been signed twice. This is my second record deal. It's, 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 and then, and then after that, you can finally get a song on the billboard. You know, I always said to myself, even my mom, I just want to have you know, cause I've had success with other artists, songwriting and then features, but I've never had a solo hit song. So now finally, like today I woke up and I see my song. I got you at number sitting on number 64 on the hot 100 on billboard, which is the first hot 100 song charting song I've ever had. Congrats. Thank you. So I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then I check iTunes, it's 37 on iTunes, which is, it's cool. Like I check it cause I'm like, wow, this is such an unreal feeling. And then now I always said that I always just wanted that, but now I'm like, okay, can we get it to the Billboard Top 40? And then like, can we get into the Top 20 on iTunes? Can we get it to Top? Do you know what I mean? It's just this it's is like a hunger that's never full. Life, this is how life is, and that's why you know some people say to me like, why does Beyonce keep going? Like, isn't she had enough? I think it's just something built in certain people, and, and it's just the way we're we're. It's the human nature. It's the human condition. You always want more. You know, it's always like you said level it's like a game you got to level up yeah and it's almost like if you become complacent or happy it's like everything will pass you by it's like you're kind of out of the game already Isn't once you become crazy? stagnant so it's kind of terrible because you kind of have to like i hate using the word unhappy but you have to kind of be unhappy a bit and like want more and but then you got to find the right place of like enjoying the moments yeah where do you find the joy is it in the moments of seeing the song i don't know i think i think like you know i i think there comes a certain point where you could like you know like my brother for example he's like the most opposite person than me he or like my dad my dad is happy in his little house 
you know, I'm like, dad, do you want to like move to a nicer house? Like we can get one together. I think it'll be more space. Like you can even move to California. It might be nice for you and mom, like to change the weather. He's like, no, 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 no. I like this house. I like that it's close to the train station and the bus stop. And it's very small. And, um, he just likes to wake up every morning and have his coffee and, and, you know, go to work and be comfortable and come home to the dog and just, you know, he, that's, that's how he sees his life. routine brings him joy. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there comes a point where you could really be like, okay, listen, like I need a, you know, I'm happy with being just where I am right now and like stopping. Uh, I think that going on forever um, could really make you very unhappy because Mm -hmm. you always feel that you want more. So how do you find out where the, the end point is? I don't know. I don't think I'm there yet just because I feel like people are just, I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, like literally like in the music business, I say 10 years, it's been longer, but 10 years of like in the music business, hustling, like really like working lawyers, blah, 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 contracts, like all that nonsense. Um, I don't, I, I think that I've to the public, I am a newcomer. So I think that I have to still kind of, you know, I want to get my music out there and I really want to tour. I want to do a solo tour. Like I want to do things, you know, put out my album as a whole. I want to get those things done that I feel like haven't been checked off. And then until then, you never know. I might, you know, pull a Lauren Hill and be like, I got one album done. I'm out. (laughs) She did a miseducation of Lauren Hill. She was like, I'm out. Yeah. You know, people were like, why? I'm like, you don't know her story. You don't know what, you know, demon she may face or what, or maybe she's happy and she just wants to be quiet, you know? Yeah. You mentioned, you know, sort of 10 years in the industry and anyone that does something for a decade, there's going to be a lot of starts and stops. And like you said, for a lot of people, you're a newcomer, So many. but it's like, you've been grinding, you know, literally right before the new year. I, I'm not going to lie. I said to my mom and my manager and I kind of meant it. I was joking a bit. I was like, honestly, if this one doesn't go, I was like, I don't know how much further I can go just because of, it's just a lot. You know, I'm, I, you think to yourself, like, am I doing the wrong music? Maybe I'm just, people don't connect to me. Maybe there's something with my voice. Maybe what I'm saying is not working and maybe it's just an energy thing or maybe I'm just not meant to be an artist. It's such a hard thing to do. And then I think after 10 years of stop going and stopping, it really does get to you. And there's been many points where I've said to myself, like, I really can't be doing this to myself emotionally anymore and mentally uh, because music should be fun. And we forget that. Well, that's where we start for the joy in it, right? Absolutely. And I told my mom and my manager, I was like, I don't think I could anymore. Like this train, like, you know, you know, the train that keeps on going. I was like, I this train cannot go anymore. And literally after New Year's, New Year's, like everything just started changing. And that's not the first time that happened. That happened right before I wrote The Monster with my friends. It happened right before I went to New York, to, uh, L.A. to meet a very big producer. It's very interesting how that happened. How it's always dark as before the dawn. Very dark. And sometimes it's like, just hang around, stay in it, because you never know what's going to happen. And you need those people. Like, I've had my best friend, like, I'd cry on the phone, and he'd be like, no, 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 you're not stopping. My mom would be like, no, 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 you're not stopping. And I was like, well, yes, I am. Like, I really am, you know? You mentioned the monster. Um, like, just, I guess, getting into the minutia of how a process like that works. Is that something where you're, this demo going back and forth you're submitting a tape or you're sitting in a room with Eminem how does that process work for a song like that specifically with such a huge artist I very very rarely have sat in in the room with the artist and people ask like oh have you ever written a, like when you write for somebody do you like sit down and say hey I want to write for I don't know make up a name Selena Gomez sure. whatever um I've never sat down and said oh I'm going to write for this artist today Ever. Um, well, once with David, that's when I'll tell you, I'll talk about that after, but, um, 
the monster. It was it was interesting, you know. I was in a. I, this was after I got dropped from my first record deal, and I was like, oh, it's over. Like I'm never gonna get a chance again, <laughs> you know. Because in the music business, if you're usually usually signed and dropped, it's like you're like you know you've been touched already. You know, you're not Absolutely. new or exciting or. Um, so um, I went in, wrote the song, and um, uh, w- w- I went in. I had a quote that I found off the internet that made me feel really good because I was kind of fighting my depression and my anxiety. Of you know, it got to me, and um, I couldn't understand it. And I found a quote that said, "Like we stop looking for the monsters under our beds." when we realize they're inside of us. Hmm. So I was like, Oh, sh- that really spoke to me. It was like, maybe I'm the one that's stopping myself. And, um, and maybe I just need to accept who I am and what I'm going through and accept the emotions and the pain instead of running away from the anxiety and, and the depression. It was very, very bad, you know, and I had no idea what it was. I was just trying to understand these feelings. And, um, I went to the studio with my friends and I told John Billy he's an incredible writer and artist. I said, John is like, there's this quote that I really love and and I want to make it kind of like, this is who I am type of record. And, um, he came up with a melody of da, na, 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 na. I was like, Oh my God, that's genius. And he put the, he put the, um, I'm friends with the monster that's under my bed. And then we started kind of going back and forth with rhymes and then just came together. And then they, um, handed me the mic and I did the new, whatever that little yodel part. Sure. It's like, you know, my signature thing. And then, um, we finished the song and an A&R had heard it, sent it to Eminem and then Lupe Fiasco's people wanted it. And it was tough at the time because, um, I really wanted to be featured on the song. It was, I was wondering that because yeah, I mean, I really, you're going to write really, a song for yourself, right? Yeah, I really, really wanted to be featured on the song so bad. Um, just because I felt like it was the first song that I had ever been a part of or written that I felt so right. Like I just knew it was something about the energy in the song. When I walked back to the train, cause I would go all the way up to Harlem on 125th street. And that's very far from where my parents live. It's about an, an hour, 45 minutes to two hour like commute. It's like a train to another train, to yeah. a train, to the ferry, to a train, to my, you know, and a walk to my parents' house. Um, when I got that whole commute, I was like, I felt like I was walking on clouds you knew you had something. Yeah, this I knew I had something. It, I felt so high. Like, I felt so good. And um, I started feeling really scared and insecure because I was like, the second that I knew Eminem wanted it and they wanted the vocals, I was like, no, 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 they can't. I don't want them to have my vocals unless they okay that I am on the song. Just because I knew the no, no, was such an interesting thing. I'm like, unless they get Florence in the Machine or somebody who really sings in that register, I don't want to give my vocals away because I don't want them to be used as background vocals. Kind of mm-hmm. like what happens with C a lot. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then I kind of, at one point, we got I got kind of bullied. They were like, if not by Eminem, but like by somebody on the team. They were like, if you don't give this to us, we'll blackmail you. They told my manager that. Holy shit. Isn't well, that it's, crazy? Like, it's such an interesting process, right? And then so you kind of so have I had to no play choice, ball. Like, here I am, a new artist, no hit, nothing. You know, got to give, you know, there's a lot of rules. You got to give your publishing away to certain artists, even though they haven't written anything. You, you got to just, you got to like get kind of like effed. Up. Yeah. Was there a chance though that you you could have sang the main hook before like obviously like Rihanna got it and she was this massive um, star? There was you know in the beginning they asked for my vocals they were like well because we might want to keep you on it I was like oh my god that'd be so cool maybe it'd be a moment like when he did that song with um what's her name yeah uh, Dido 
Dido. Yeah. I was like, yes. I was like, this could be my moment. It would have been such an of incredible course. moment for me. I think, you know, like imagine being on, imagine your first feature being on an Eminem song. It was like such a dream of mine. And it's I was like, like a lottery ticket. Yeah. You, I was yeah. like, I was literally couldn't sleep every night for like a year. Cause we didn't know. And I was so excited and there was silence for a year. Um, and then it came out with Rihanna and, and I was like kind of, you know, bittersweet about it, but like, I felt bummed, you know, cause I found out through like when it came out, nobody even told me. You just heard it on the radio one Yeah. Day. I just heard it on the radio. Like literally my mom texted me. I saw the track listing and wow. I was like, um, but you know what? But I, I, I've, I've gotten, uh, that was supposed to be what that was. Yeah. You, know? you still co-wrote a hit. Like yeah, you said, bittersweet exactly. is an interesting you know, way yeah, to. Yeah. And, and it's like, and it's like, it's Rihanna and Eminem, you know, that's a blessing. Like you don't want to sound like one of those people. It's like, uh, now I see that, you know, that song also put me in a, in a, in a position where people in the music business started knowing who I was and started respecting me, which led to me being able to work with David, get on Nicki Minaj and then doing Hey Mama mm-hmm. and then working with G Easy and then doing me, myself and I, so then, you, you know, what I mean? and then doing take my, take me home. So then now, so that, that led to all these other hits that are, you know I've that I have under my belt, you know, and and to be able to work with so many incredible people. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, you know, it's interesting. I saw you years ago at the Opera House with Black Cards. Oh my gosh. Were no, you watching? You're, you're really were good. you watching Travis McCoy? No, it was a weird kind of thing where I had been in a band that had like toured. We'd signed a record yeah. deal, and we were Pete Wentz was looking at maybe bringing us down to New York. We ended up going down and and working with a couple of his dudes, but Sam yeah. No exactly. way, no yeah. way. Oh my God, um, hilarious. That's, I had like a weekend there. Anyway, anyway yeah. long story long. So we were supposed to meet him at the opera long in Toronto. Long story long or long story short? Well, I, I will keep it short. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I always say long story long. But anyway, uh, and we saw you that night. And like, I didn't. I just knew, oh, he's in this new band called Black Cards. Yeah. And we didn't really know it. So we went there. We were supposed to meet him. And he ended up like bailing like immediately after the show. So we didn't end up talking to him uh, then. He was going through a hard time though. Because he was going through his breakup with Ashley. He was, that's what someone had told us. That yeah, he had to he get was, on a plane to go. He was, he was really like, really like going through a hard time you were very good though thank you stood out totally um how did you get into that did at the time were you like this is a pretty big break um i was like uh you know just like starting out in college you know like and um i don't know how that happened i went to crush management which you know is a pete's management yeah, label absolutely. so i went there to really meet with the management because they have you know they they partnered up with pete wentz to create decadence records and they also partnered up now to do a publishing company mm. so they're like oh they have this new publishing company i was like okay i'll go down there and this was before the monster anything like before I had any single thing so i went there and then uh they liked my writing and they liked my voice and pete happened to be in the room with sam hollander and now like this is a management management office so it's not like you know real studios have like strong walls and you could scream and nobody would hear your voice um but this was like these were like very thin walls so they had overheard me singing and they were like while you were sitting in that room yeah i was sitting in the smaller room in room b i've been in this office yeah i was in the back so i was in the small room and uh pete heard me um from room a with sam hollander and sam hollander was such a fan of my voice and um he i don't know pete came in heard the voice and he was just like how are you or like tell me your story blah 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 blah. um and then that's it and then the next day i got a call from sam hollander and he was like yo do you he wants to sign you like do you want to be in this band that he's doing and i was like hell yeah and like literally (laughs) walked out of italian class that day and i never went back to school (laughs) this i'm out of here i'm going on the road i was like i gotta go to the bathroom and i left and the up thing is that i literally 
passed every every teacher like like liked me that semester like they were like oh yeah she's a hard worker passed me except my music theory teacher like i that's the only class that i failed that's pretty ironic isn't that funny yeah now this is your career <laughs> so um, it was crazy it was an awesome experience it was it was tough like i, I don't know it's a tough experience was, was there a particular reason why i think that p you know i kind of signed up you know really young and i think p um i ex I, like he was definitely he taught me so much and I'm very grateful for that experience it's just that I think he was going through a really hard time sure. and um, I was very lonely on the road you know we had been on the road for about a year and a half two years and I literally had no one I had no money I was broke um, you'd never toured before I never toured before I didn't I had to go I remember going to the dupe I remember going to Dubai the first time on myself I was scared shitless I hated flying um, and um, you know people think it's like this awesome amazing experience but like I would show up and I would have to stay in my room because they didn't have like, they didn't want me walking around by myself. So I'd like be in like my hotel room and then they would let me get out when I went on stage. Then I would sing and then I would have to go back into my hotel room and then get out the next day to go on a plane. But I couldn't even aff like afford to get room service. So I was like starving all the time. Wow. But then no, but like that makes no, it sound, like, it I makes think it that's sound so negative. No, but like, you know, it my makes parents, it more relatable though no, in parents, like sort of a real way. Yeah, like my parents like helped me out. Like don't get me wrong, they wasted a lot of their money trying to like give me, you know, my dad couldn't give me more than, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Sure. He couldn't afford it. But it was tough and, and I don't think Pete meant it. I, I was really angry at him for a really long time because um I didn't know I had like a lot of like, I, had, I don't know, that's, that's when I think my anxiety started and I couldn't understand like how, you know, the, the touring worked and sleeping on a tour bus, just like a lot of things I had to kind of really learn, like kind of thrown into it. It's a completely different. So I, I'm, I'm actually like, I, that's why I'm like now I'm like very like thankful for that because that like opened my eyes and people were like, well, this is a tour. This is what we're going to do. I'm like, listen, I've been doing this for a very long time. Like I know what I'm doing. I know what this is, you know? So I learned so much, um, for me in that situation. But I think that now I see that he was going, I didn't know I was young. I wasn't in a relationship or ever in love or knew anything about anything, you know? So like, I'd see him upset sometimes. I'd be like, are you okay? Do you need somebody to talk to? Meanwhile, he's like going through a divorce, you know, with the love of his life. Like very so, adult problems. Yeah. Like very adult problems. And here I am like a young girl. And, and, and I didn't understand why he wouldn't like, like be more of a, I wanted like more of a brother type. And I don't think that he was able to do that at that time because he was really heartbroken. Sure. So, um, I, I think that I took that all to heart. So, yeah. Well, lastly, um, as we get the two minute mark, even though I was <laughs> going to wrap up here anyway. Uh, so you have this new album coming out yeah. in 2017. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've had such a sort of an interesting journey. It's been a decade. Yeah. Like you said, things started to turn for you in the new year, mm -hmm. but this isn't the first time Yeah. now that the album's done and it's yeah. coming out and you're doing all this press. Is it everything you'd envision it to be? I mean, the, 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 the album creatively, the process doing the, the press being the star, being the sole sort of person out here, uh, sort of living a dream. It feels good. I it feels really good that like people are connected. Connecting. That's like my most important thing. And um, there's like so much more that people don't know about politically and all that stuff. So um, I think that when I, I can't wait to go on tour really, because I feel like that's what would make, that's what's going to make it feel really real and like really hit me. Um, because I think the one thing that music business has is like, you know, when I did the iHeart Awards with GEZ for me, myself and I in the States, kind of like all the celebrities and all the other artists kind of like, they don't really talk to you. It's very interesting. You know, like they're nice to you if they like, you know. Yeah. But it's like kind of like a weird thing. Like when you're the new kid in, like they kind of like, 
like it's kind of like a sorority or something like everybody that. stays in their own island yeah they don't own. talk There's to cliques. you so like i want to kind of i can't wait to like really like go to these things and kind of feel welcomed and like feel like i belong because i always feel like when i part go of to the community yeah like part of the community because i don't feel like i've ever felt like i belonged i always feel like everybody just looked at me as like the songwriter or the girl featured on the song so like now it feels good to like be a part of a song that's doing well but i think that um I think that, you know, my journey and everything has definitely made me this like really uh, has forced me to I think the only reason why I've come so far is because I've been able to be real with everybody around me and be real about my past and 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 um, and and work on myself. And I think to really be successful in this music business, you have to be very honest with yourself. And 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 and, and I think that if you ever have like writer's block or whatever it may be, it's really because you're lying to yourself about something that you don't like in your life or something that you don't like about the way that you act or yourself. And I think that in part with my musical background, my stories has really, um, you know, created this album that I think is great. And, you know, I, you know how artists are. I'm like, I want to put it out and I want to work on the next one. Cause I feel like I could do better, but, um, I'm really, I'm really happy about it. And we're doing it in parts actually, which is cool. February 17th is like the first part, part one. Yes. Yeah. Part one. And um, that's going to be a little bit more urban. And then it transitions in part two to a little bit more pop and electronic um, and fun sounding uh, because it's based off of a breakup and the actual transitions of like being upset. And then man, that's a whole other podcast. We could have just talked about that for half an hour. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And in in a fat in a fast, you know, summary of all your fault, uh, you know, I I was about I got asked to do the Nick Jonas tour. And right before the Nick Jonas tour, my uh, um, my now ex-boyfriend, who I dated for a year and a half, decided to break up with me through a text message, which at the time I was like, oh, it's so childish. It's it's like so like young and immature. It's shitty. So uh, I, you know, I took that to heart because it was like my first real, true, honest love. And I couldn't understand it and you know when you're on tour on a tour bus crying every day it's it's it helps you the fans help you you know i remember being on stage crying you like everybody tell like say fuck you to my ex and they're like fuck you <laughs> it becomes this cathartic thing yeah so you know in the beginning i kind of made me bitter and brokenhearted and i call and i was like you know what? i want to call this album all your fault so that it starts the album starts out with a song called atmosphere and it's about how there's not enough love in the atmosphere to have kept him w- there with me there was there, it's just not in this world not this lifetime and then it transitions to a song that's called gateway drug and it's about my ex finally reaching out after six months later and being like i miss you at 3 a.m in the morning and me being like oh if you want to you know if you want to text me let's talk about the way you broke up with me through a text mm. um and then it transitions to a, a, a song called uh, bad bitch which is like you had a bad bitch and now you've lost her. So it is what it is. And then Ty Dollar Sign decided to jump on that, which is, it's a really dope urban record. Um, very rhythmic. And then I'm living in LA and I'm going through a lot of friendships and like trying, I was like kind of bitter at this time. So I wrote a song called fake friends about living in LA cause it's so fake. Um, <laughs> it's literally all about LA, but you know, it could, it could be based off of real life. And then G easy heard it, you know, while we were doing myself and I, and he's like, I, I, this record so hard he's like i need to jump on it so we actually did that we shot the video in amsterdam and then um and then uh i think there's another one but i don't remember which one that is but um you know oh small doses an amazing song i did it with this girl lauren christie and she did a lot of avril lavigne back in the day and corn and she's really talented and we wrote a song about having too having too much love and needing a little less of it and then it goes into i got you which is the transition transition of when I'm finally like over my heartbreak and I meet somebody that I really like, but our both our walls are up. So I'm like, let your walls down. And then the second part of the album kind of goes into this more 
interesting. Like it gets better? Yeah, like it gets better. It's like about more about like, it's more about um, like loving yourself and like kind of being like, I'm not the one for you. Like I'm now the more powerful one. So all your fault in a sense of like, you made me stronger and now I'm this bad bitch. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome to the dessert. We just listened to BB Rexa. Long interview. Good one though. She's a good one. Delightful. She's a clever girl. And now we have our pop culture aficionado and great friend, Shane Christian Cunningham. (laughs) Shane, what is going on? (laughs) Why is that so funny? Well, uh, it's just because... uh, Mike and I got into a, a little bit of a spat after the last, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if he was going to start with the uh, great friend. And I'm not sure if Mike wants to talk about it either, because this is the Valentine theme one. Oh, yeah. And I acknowledge too, that people are all different. And I, um, when something bad happens to me kind of, where I get in an argument, I kind of like it only because no one likes to hear a, a story about things good happening to you. Sure. People, I find people always enjoy when it's like, oh, and then the bus splashed me with water and it ruined my day. And they're like, ha ha ha. You know, (laughs) but if I'm like, this happened to me, it's like, f*** you, buddy. You know something good? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if Mike likes talking about confrontation, but I do. So I'm not sure if Mike wants to talk (laughs) about it. But but while Mike's thinking about this, I want to ask you, did you do your homework, Max? So I haven't done it. Max was supposed That's to call Freddie. Bullshit, man. <laughs> shit. Fellas, don't get in a fight yet. Okay, I will. Can we call him Let's now? Let's call him right now. This could be compelling. Oh, okay. we totally could. We can actually get him on. Are we kind of ambushing him, though? Because we can record the conversation. But still, we can always edit it out if he says yeah, no. Let, let's, let's record the conversation. Okay, you're going to have to put him on speaker, though. Okay. <laughs> we're already all over the place, and we were literally 30 <laughs> seconds into the dessert. Okay, here's what I think you got to ask him, though. Okay. Be like, hey... Uh, I'm not sure if you know who I am. I'm Max from the Arkells. Shane yeah. uh, told me all about your interactions, and I want to invite you to the show in Hamilton. It's sold out. It's on Friday night. Exactly. Why don't we put it on speakerphone, though? Why don't we put it on speakerphone? Hey, gang. Mike here. Editor's note. The way that we record the dessert is we basically roll all the way through. If we talk for half an hour, we go for half an hour and then cut it after. This dessert started out like any other dessert. Right off the top, though, Shane said, Max, did you do your homework? Now, if you listened last week, you know that Max's homework was to call Frank D'Angelo and not only invite him to come on the pod personally, but also invite him to the Arkells show in Hamilton at Cops Coliseum. Max, of course, did not do his homework. We get it. He's busy. He's touring. Shane says, Max, I can't believe you didn't do your homework. You should call him right now while we're sitting here doing the dessert. Max says, I'll call him right now. So we go, okay. We say, well, if we're going to have a conversation, invite him on the pod. Let's roll on it. Let's record. The problem is we had to reset up the recording in order to get the conversation with Frank. So we stop the recording and we start resetting up. Max is ready to make his call. We think we're good to go. The problem was the record button did not get hit again. So not only do we not get the Frank conversation, but, and by the way, I'm beginning to think that uh, we are cursed when it comes to Frank D'Angelo. We also ended up going from that conversation right into the dessert. Because again, we don't stop rolling. At some point, Shane and I end up getting into a sort of emotional conversation, a bit of a confrontation. But again, we think we're rolling on all of this. You're about to hear that alluded to. From there, we go into what we consider a much more traditional dessert where Shane's sort of sharing his story. Now, this is where we realize we're not recording. We get about five minutes into that. We realize, holy shit. We don't know where the recording went wrong, but we just know that we haven't been recording at some point. So we don't know if we got any of the Frank conversation. We don't know if we got the argument. We don't know anything. After listening back, we realized we didn't get any of it. 
So what you're going to hear <laughs> is our attempt at uh, recreating the dessert that we thought was recorded, but unfortunately was not. Back to the dessert. What happened from there was we got into a little bit of a uh, contentious argument because uh, <laughs> Shane and I went to a Louis C.K. show. Uh, we ended up talking about that. Feelings were had. Uh, we were going to share some of that. It was really compelling, too. Like, you, you, so really, none of that's all that's gone. I don't know how much we is there. We don't know how much we got. Wow. But I, I kind of hold on. Stood if there's back. any, so go on. If you kind of stood well, back, I sort of stood back and let Shane and uh, Mike go at each other for like half an hour, and, it, and I was a little worried that it was getting too contentious. But then I was also really compelled by the conversation. Conversation. It was a very honest conversation between friends. At the end of it, you said it was cathartic. Uh, Mike, you revealed parts of yourself that you don't normally talk about. I was very <laughs> proud of you. Like It was all a really interesting piece of tape. Uh, but I don't know if we got any of that. Well, I like because at the end, I was kind of like, I'm worried people think I'm stupid. And you made a point. You're like, Shane said it was very cathartic. Like, he <laughs> used like a big boy word. <laughs> Thanks, Max. Uh, it was cathartic and therapeutic. And Max had some interesting things to say, just sort of sitting over there uh, wondering what he got himself into as Shane and I worked through our issues. <laughs> And then uh, we were like, okay, let's just record like a safe dessert, like a dessert that we a know. A lighthearted we, one. A lighthearted one where, you know, we're not burying our souls. Um, <laughs> and we got about, uh, I don't know, five minutes into that, which was very good. And we realized that the uh, the H6 was not recording. The thing that we So were are we going to try to recreate some of the laughs? Because uh, I even like, I'll do one, I like. <laughs> Let's just recreate it. I'll even. Yeah, cool. Go Let's on. do it. Okay. So uh, we normally play basketball on Monday nights. And so this Monday in Dundas, I wanted to play. I wanted to see if Shane would play because he plays in this little run we do. So does Max. Uh, and I said, hey, Shane, do you want to play tonight? And you said, I can't. I'm shooting something. I'll take it from here, Mike. <laughs> so <laughs> what happened was um, months ago, uh, after I got married, I went on a little honeymoon. And on the flight, coincidentally enough, some people from my work were on that flight. Uh, one of the directors, he does a segment for MTV Fora. So I guess he just made note like, oh, Shane's got a fairly attractive wife. Maybe I can use them in a segment one day. So months go by and Valentine's Day, as you both know, is around the corner. <laughs> you really, you wish you could always go through these things twice. So uh, he said, hey, Shane, would you appear in a segment with your wife? Uh, I agreed. And basically the premise is, uh, older couples, like couples who have been married for 60 years plus and are, are going to give advice to younger couples, like newlyweds, they call them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I, I agreed. And I, oh, oh, wait, I did a joke. I was like, but I just did it for the cash. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you guys laugh. Nailed it. And, and uh, then you dropped your phone. No, no, Mike, I'm Sorry. getting to that. <laughs> So uh, the first question they had for the older couple for it, it was actually on a little video screen. So I was controlling the video screen. And the first question was about secrets. <laughs> Whoops. I just dropped one of uh, my phones, my where I keep my secrets. Uh, your second phone. Well, the, my one for my mistresses, you mean, Max? <laughs> oh, shade. So that got a big laugh. <laughs> yeah. So when the, when the video played, uh, the couple said it was kind of funny because you could tell the couple wasn't really in love anymore, kind of. Well, you could t I, I could at least tell that the the white guy wasn't in love with the Asian girl. You could just say the husband wasn't in love with the wife. But yeah, right. And I mentioned that last time, too. I was like, I don't know why I'm saying that she's Asian. But anyways, just to frame it so people can tell what they You're look like. You're setting a scene. Yes. 
so the question was, do you keep secrets after being married all this time? And the woman's like, oh, no, we share everything. Like, you know, we're close as ever. And then the white nerdy husband was like, well, uh, some secrets never hurt anybody. <laughs> A few secrets. Got a bigger laugh last time. Yeah. <laughs> but now we were fully caught up. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then Alex and I talked about it. And, you know, Alex is like, uh, you know, we don't keep any secrets. And then I was like, yeah, was, we don't. And then, you know, I lied a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> as he drops the second yeah, phone, again. I do have Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then there was an older Italian couple and they were kind of funny. And, you know, you think when you, uh, you get older, you get over certain things like early in our, my relationship with my wife, I guess there was jealousy issues and a couple of fights happened over that, but it asked about jealousy and the older couple said, uh, it was this old Italian man. He goes, yes, I get jealous. He's like the other day I went to dance, a man go to grab my wife. And I said, you get your own wife. That's my wife. I was so jealous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, uh, that the story's done guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard to retell a story like this. But basically, um, the reason um, I even got into the fight with Mike coming in, I off the top, I kind of explained that when things are going really well, I have a hard time talking about it. And right now, like Alex and I, like things are going really good for us. And I don't find it all that interesting. Uh -huh. So I thought I'd be smart and bring up a little like... Uh, little spat that Mike yeah, and I got to stir the pot, come out swinging a little bit conflict. Yeah. People like yeah. conflict, but it kind of, it blew up in my face. Who knows if half of it got recorded, but I will say this, I did, which I genuinely find interesting. I started floating recently because, um, like, you know how you, you were the, one of the reasons we were saying like, we are so, uh, I don't know. It's stressed out lately. You yeah. and I both is because of the commute. And I found like, it's totally been taking a toll on my mental health, everything. So I, I looked up this thing called floating. It's where you float in 10 inches of water and it, it's the heated up to the same heat as your body temperature. And they put in a, literally a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. Like literally it's a thousand pounds of Epsom salt, which makes you 10 times more buoyant than you'd be if you were in the Dead Sea, right. which is very buoyant. And Joe Rogan talked about this on his podcast that he had a total out of body experience. And it was almost like the equivalent of being in an awesome deep sleep for like three days or something. And you just feel like re-energized everything. It's like a mini vacation encapsulated in an hour. So I was like, fucking sign me up for this shit. So I went with my wife uh, and I did it, but here's the catch 22 of it. If you are an anxious person and self-aware and really like introspective, you can't relax. Uh. Like the whole time you're just like, Oh, I'm just sitting here and with your darkness. own thoughts. Yeah. Cause I, it's a de um, deprivation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have no light either. You're just floating in a little oh, tank. So sensory de deprivation, sensory deprivation chamber. So I'm literally just thinking about my mortality, scary thoughts. <laughs> what if this fucking thing doesn't open? What if I'm trapped? And then, you know, before I know it, I'm out of there and I'm feeling more stressed than when I first got <laughs> in it. But if you are a relaxed person, 
you actually, it's very beneficial. Like Alex came out, she's like, it was out of body. And I saw like a spaceman and this was incredible. And I was just kind of like fuming because she had this really great experience. And Alex doesn't have a worry in the world ever. And she just had like this amazing experience and is all refreshed. And I had like bags under my eyes and felt horrible. And then the the guy ended up giving it to us for free, actually, which was very um, nice, I thought. Well, you know, they're kind of weirdos at this place. Like, <laughs> like, you know, anytime you go to like a hippie place, they're very, and he was like very into Alex's like spiritual experience. Are we sure that he wasn't the spaceman she, <laughs> she saw in the chamber? The spaceman fingered me in the deprivation chamber. Weird. <laughs> Can we end there? That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Wow, what a roller coaster. It was a unique one. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank, again, BB Rex. It was great. Yeah, uh, you can find us online at uh, Mike on Much on Twitter and Instagram. Please subscribe to the show. Please tell your friends about it. Leave a comment in the rating section at uh, on iTunes. You can find us on YouTube, Google Play, Much.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that business. Like Max said, the Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>